latest in the Bova News podcast series. I'm your host, Kim Bremer, and in this Bova News highlight series, we will be speaking with each of the four outstanding dairy farm recipients of the 2022 Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy Sustainability Award winner. Joining us today is Steve Schlangen of Schlangen Dairy, a 60-cow robot dairy with 200 acres of the land located in Albany, Minnesota. Welcome, Steve. Hey, good morning, Kim. So can you start off first and just tell us about the history of your farm in Schlangen Dairy? Well, it goes back a ways. Um, back in the fall of 1986, I uh, decided to quit my job and bought a herd of 28 cows, and I rented an empty barn and started uh, buying my feed and, and starting in a dairy industry. And over time, we kind of grew the herd and ended up buying the farm after a while. In the meantime, I met my wife, Cheryl, and we got married in 1989. And over time, we built almost every building we have on the farm here. And we've, you know, tried to do the best we had with, with what we had here. And um, we have four children now and five grandchildren. And we we run, like you said, 200 acres of land where we grow corn, soybeans, alfalfa, barley, uh, cover crops, including winter rye, um, all this feedstuffs for all of our dairy cows and replacement heifers. Now, your conservation journey has been long in the making. Can you expand on how your efforts have evolved since you first started farming? I, mean, I know that we can count more than 30 fairly significant conservation practices on your farm, but can you walk us through your journey? Yeah, and it, it started um, early on when I ended up, you know, renting the barn here. Eventually, I rented the land and we... There were some improvements we made with washouts and things like that where we put in a waterway, not just to protect the water going into the ditch, but also to make it nice for, for farming through and more productive. And really, uh, I think later, close to the year 2000 or so, when we got involved with the NRCS and the Conservation Security Program, where we really started to do a lot more different things uh, including uh, recycling our oil, recycling our plastics, recycling things, and uh, planting uh, filter strips and, and putting in uh, windbreaks around our farm and just a lot of things over the year. And I've been part of that uh, conservation security program for about 20 years, I think. And some of the projects we would question, you know, but we could kind of pick and choose which ones fit best for us. And then we would um, try to work on them and, and try to do the best we could with those. And you have manure stack, a manure stacking slab that prevents nutrient leaching into the water. You have a manure injection system that uses less time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Less time, less fuel? Yeah, our stacking slab is one of the newest projects uh, we completed about two years ago. And it really allows us uh, the capacity to store all of our runoff from our heifer feedlot all the manure from the heifers, dry cows, and, and that sort. And we had already had storage for our, our dairy cows. So we it gives us the ability to put those nutrients on when and where we need them. And, and I think that's the key to most dairy farms is having the ability to store those nutrients until the time is right and then get out there and apply them. And the stacking side works well because you don't lose any uh, crop growing area because of over putting over too many nutrients on that area because of a, a manure pile in there for a year or whatever. And so it's really worked out well, the stacking slab has, and our manure injection 
we've been doing that for, I don't know, the last five to seven years, maybe, where we can variable rate the manure on with a hydraulic motor on a manure uh, pump on the tank and get the manure on the fields where we need it and get it in the ground. And actually this last year, that's the only fall tillage we did was one pass injecting the manure. And then that there's a bunch of acres that that's all we did on in the fall. And it seemed to work out pretty good. So anytime you can reduce passes over the field and continue to hopefully get the same productivity and really have that field in shape for the winter so that it, you don't get a lot of washing because it's a lot rougher than it would be otherwise. And so th there's just a number of things where those types of projects can really help. And, you know, I think if you can get maximum really good yields and improve the soil year after year, that's a win-win for everybody. Um, especially if you can, you know, protect the water uh, running off besides that. So there's just things we continue to work on and try to improve on. But um, those are a couple of projects that were, are really working well for us. I know that you're involved in some innovative projects, particularly uh, in the Bacchus Lake watershed. And I mean, maybe it would help too if people had a little bit of an idea how close you are um, to water that eventually get to the Mississippi. But can you talk to us a little bit about that project? Yeah. And first of all, my wife, Cheryl, and I do have a, you know, a partnership here where it's really, we feel it's really important. And I think most farmers do feel it. You want to leave your land in a better condition than when you started working on it. So we continue to work on that. Uh, a lot of these projects that I'm involved with is through the Headwaters Ag Sustainability Partnership. They call it the HASP program. So the Bacchus Lake project is part of that. And we are in the Sock River Watershed District, which uh, our water flows downstream into the Mississippi and all the way down to New Orleans. And you know, we just want to make sure we do everything we can to protect the water that goes into that, those waterways. But the Buckus Lake project was more about, um, we were getting some private funding from some people that wanted to help out. And um, it was more of trying to find a way to use that funding to get neighbors to, to do projects to try to improve the water going into that lake. And then be able to quantify, you know, improvement on that so that it would be like a pilot project that hopefully could be expanded on uh, to other parts of the upper Midwest or other parts of the country even. Now, you're involved in many organizations and programs that all focus on egg conservation, quality, sustainability, and services. Can you tell us how you got involved in these programs, how they've helped you and shaped your farm to what it is today? Yeah, you know, I've been involved in our dairy cooperative, which is Associated Milk Producers Incorporated, uh, otherwise known as AMPI. And I've been chairman of the board for the last 10 years. I've been on that corporate board for 21 years. And just being a leader there, I think, kind of drove me to being being part of these other things. And I, a lot of times... I just thought I needed to be at the table. It wasn't that I went there to see what they wanted us to do. It was more like I went there to defend uh, the farmer side of what's going on here. You're dealing with the Nature Conservancy, the Minnesota Environmental Initiative. You're dealing with other 
environmental organizations and you just want to make sure that you're at the table and have a voice. And we've really, I think, learned to understand each other better, I think. So I could bring concerns from the farm side. They could bring things from their side and we we talk things over and and try to come up with solutions um, for for the average farmer. Um, it really wasn't about me or about our farm as much as it was about our average family dairy farm in the upper Midwest and how we could help them along to do some things without really putting too much, um, you know, too much burden on them because uh, dairy farming is hard, especially at the family farm level where it's mostly family labor. You don't get a lot of time off and, you know, the last thing you need is more uh, burdensome regulations or, you know, things that are pushed on you Uh, that makes it harder for you to continue on the way you are. Well, and certainly that is a big part of telling the dairy story because uh, a lot of people don't realize or recognize all the things that we're already doing. Would you agree? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, um, one thing about receiving this award, I, I don't think I've ever had more average consumers, average, you know, relatives and people that aren't associated with the farm that we're more excited to hear about a sustainability award. And it's like, gosh, we've been doing a lot of these things for years or decades even, and uh, they have no idea. And I just think if we could all just tell our story and have it out there where they could understand what we're all doing here, they would actually appreciate us a lot more than what, what they do. I think. Mm, I agree. Well said. Conservation has been at the forefront of your farm goals since the very beginning. What's your proudest moment when it comes to your sustainable efforts? Well, I would probably have to say um, receiving this award or, you know, um, being one of four dairy farmers in the United States that are receiving this award and, and being one of the farms that is a small family farm that pretty much anything I do here any but any other dairy farm in the country uh, would be able to do, and they could use uh, different practices or, you know, different projects that uh, could help improve their farm and their um, quality of the water going into the into their drainage or whatever. Um, but that's probably the proudest moment is getting recognized for that. But also, I think sharing that story on a bigger stage and getting Getting more of that information out there, I think a lot of that is so important that, um, you know, I, I talked to like my brother-in-law yesterday about it and he, he just couldn't believe that we've been cooling our milk down with well water, you know, pre-cooling it before it goes in the bulk tank. And then we'd actually cool the Freon from the, the bulk tank cooler to heat our hot water for using for wash up and for feeding calves and things like that. And we've been doing that for 30 years or more. So there's a lot of things that we do that um, I think we need to share the story and, and get credit for them. And if there's any good thing about this whole sustainability push, which farmers don't necessarily like so much is that if we tell our story, right, I mean, we're doing a lot of the right things and we are part of the solution to this whole thing. So I think that's that's a good part of it, and um, yeah, I just I feel good that we can get a good story spread around to a lot of people 
Uh, not as many as we would all like, maybe, but um, whatever we can do is going to be helpful. Absolutely. And how has your community reacted to your sustainability and environmental efforts? Well, we've had uh, nothing but good comments on, you know, all the press and, and the things that have been printed or, or aired or whatever. Um, they all think it's it, it's a good thing. I know there's there's some farmers out there wondering, you know, if you're maybe uh, going to the other side a little too much, like not um, being there to defend them and uh, allow them to do things the way they always did. And I think sometimes it'd be good to have to make some changes, at, even though they they might be tough at the time. I think a lot of times they're probably better for the farm in the long run. And they're better for the environment. So overall, I think uh, we've had really a lot of good support um, from the community and and uh, people who usually have really good comments when they, they hear of, you know, winning an award like this or anything else. So so changes coming down the pipeline at Schlong and Deary? Um, I can't really point at any in particular. I think we're, we continue to try things, you know, we, this is only our third year of doing uh, cover crops where we like to get that winter rye seeded in the fall. And then a year ago, we harvested a bunch of it for young stock feed and then went and got a lot of tonnage off those acres and went back and direct seeded soybeans into that with a no-till drill. And the soybean yield uh, was down some, but we were in a drought situation, so it was it would have been down some anyway. Um, so it's a, a way of, you just got to figure out what might work on a, you know, a year to year basis. Uh, this year, because of the drought last year, we were kind of short on corn silage. So we harvested that rye earlier and put it in a bag. So that's a higher quality feed this year. It's like 18% protein. And that goes, gets fed to the cows now to replace uh, some of that silage in the ration. So. I know there's things out there. I know there's our neighbors are working on doing different things that I might be interested in trying. And, and I work on things that they might be interested in trying, but you know, the more I talk to people about these types of things, there's a lot more people out there doing a lot of this stuff than what I would have figured. You know, the cover crops have been, been pretty big around the area for a while now. Um, so it's not like we're the first on all this stuff. It's like um, we're kind of trying to do what could fit best on our farm as time goes by. So we'll keep our ears open and eyes open and uh, we'll see what comes up next. But in the meantime, you know, you just keep trying to get the best crops off your land and feed that through your cows and get that manure back out there and keep up that cycle. And keep improving the soil while still getting really good uh, yields off your crops and and producing food for a growing world and um, really good good food, you know. And in terms of cows as well, as we look at opportunities to create a more efficient, sustainable herd of cows, have you ever considered using feed conversion efficiency genetics? You know, we, we I guess I, that's what we've always kind of done was to. Uh, try to use the best genetics to get the the highest protein and fat and uh, yield and and then you know we do a ration for the cows like gets updated 
and tell, checked on like monthly. Every time there's a feed change, um, we update that ration. And I mean, my cows get fed much better than I do, uh, much better, healthier, well-balanced uh, diet. And um, cows are amazing animals with their ruminant uh, digestive system. They can take almost any feed stuff and break it down into um, different proteins and rebuild it back up into amino acids, you know, and rebuild it back up to, into protein that they can use then to produce milk and produce the meat on their back. And uh, so, you know, there's always, uh, there's some feedstuffs that I think are coming along here to help with the enteric methane side of things. And I think that would probably be uh, a good thing if, um, if it works out and you can still get the production. Um, I think most people don't realize that enteric methane actually is biodegradable and it probably isn't something that is built up over time. It's kind of going away about as fast as it's being produced. But if we can improve on that um, and it works out well for us, I think we probably need to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. You are clearly an innovator in the dairy industry. What advice do you have for other dairymen and women looking at ways to improve their dairies to support the industry-wide 2050 environmental stewardship goals? Well, I think the best thing uh, you can do is to pay attention to what other people are doing and what works for them and not feel like um, you're being pushed to do more than you would like to. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that could work on a lot of dairy farms that would actually be good for that farm, uh, good for the environment, and good for more production on that land. And uh, really, uh, just talk to other people and get information from other farmers that are are trying things that are working. And um, you know, I, I've said many times is not everybody can do everything, but I think everybody can do something. And if we all together do something, it's going to improve uh, the whole dairy industry. And that's kind of what we have to do as an industry is, um, you know, by 2050, we have the goal uh, to be net zero. And I think we can get there even before then. But, you know, I think you just got to not be afraid that you're getting pushed to do things that you don't want to do, because I think there's a lot of things that you could do on your farm that are really not painful at all and might really help your bottom line besides. Well, and as we have talked to all of the winners of this award, I think you just touched on probably one of the most common themes we've heard so far uh, is just being flexible and fearless all at the same time. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Um, I think there is some risk in almost everything you do. Um, but there's some reward opportunities out there too. Um, and some of these bigger projects, you know, that you think there's no way I could do that, like a stacking slab, for example. Uh, you're talking a lot of money, but there's usually a, a pretty good cost share incentive from the NRCS um, to help with that. And in, in some cases, in some areas, like in the Bacchus Lake watershed area here, there might be some private funding to even help take care of um, the part that would be your share to pay. So I think it's important to be aware of those things um, because I can look at my stacking slab and think, my God, you know, 
it's a hundred thousand dollar project it's like there's no way that thing will ever pay for itself um that i could cash flow having it but you know when you get cost share and you get help uh, building a project like that and once you have it it's like you really wouldn't want to ever give that up because you know what it's all doing for you it's you're getting more out of your nutrients you're protecting the environment and the water and um, it's it makes it handier for loading your manure in the fall and and everything. So it, it really cleans up your farm, I think, and helps to kind of get everything in or organized and in, in, in nice shape for having a, a decent, respectable looking dairy farm. And where can people go to learn more about your dairy, Steve? Well, I don't have a website or anything, but I mean, we've done a number of videos from the dairy farm. Uh, I think they, you could find them on the Environmental Initiative website under the HASP, the HASP um, programs that they have. So the Minnesota Environmental Initiative. And I think you can probably Google maybe our, our farm name or, or different things, and you could probably find some videos out there. to Because videos actually tell a pretty good story, and it might not be the whole story all the time, but it gives you a pretty good idea, I think, of, of what might be going on on the farm. And um, if everybody really wants to know, they could give me a call and I, I'd give them a tour of my farm and uh, let them see the robot working and things like that. But there's a lot of farms around like that, though, now. And um, a lot of farmers would be open to sharing, um, showing people uh, how they do things because they're proud of it. Well, Steve, congratulations on winning this award. We wish you continued success in all you do and offer our sincere thanks and admiration for being an exceptional leader and representing our dairy industry well. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. And be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer, and from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.